look, you may have a kid in your house for a short amount of time and then they may be gone and that may break your heart, but at least your heart is broken because you chose to love that child. And that impact of the time that you spent with that child will be able to carry on for who knows how long, but maybe you don't and maybe that's not the point, but know that you will be making an impact on that kid. This is the Foster Movement Podcast, helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I am here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego, how are you today? How you doing, Mr. Jason? I'm doing pretty good. Good, 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 good. Hey, so, you know, we are, uh, we've never, I don't think, ever been accused of being terribly sophisticated, uh, but we're going to up the, the level today. We are going to, we, <laughs> we're going to quote a, a great um, uh, hero of literature uh, today to start off uh, this podcast and, and just up the level a little bit. I feel like we should have some some violins or cellos playing Man. or something, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so Charles Dickens uh, said, said this, a very little key will open a very heavy door. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's deep, right? Yeah. I like that. A very little key will open a very heavy door. And, you know, like that's true. Like when you think about um, uh, there's a lot of things where a little bit will go a long way. Something small can make a huge impact. You know, I was thinking about like, um, you know, a little bit of chili powder, uh, can go a long way when you, when you put it in something, um, I, you know, like a Lego, you know, if you have uh, one Lego on the floor, like right. the amount of pain it can do that can, yeah, <laughs> of damage that it can do when you step on it in the middle of the night. Right. right. Um, we know something about that, right? Right. What are things that you can think of when you think of a little bit, uh, something small makes a huge impact? Well, man, I, I, if I just think about um, a mouse and what it can do to an <laughs> elephant, <laughs> you know, you, you look at the mouse, you know, and you think about, man, how powerless this is. But to an elephant, it's, it's a little bit powerful, even though it's small. Yeah. And so, like, and of course, like you said, of course, the Lego. My son leaves Legos all the time over the floor. Uh-huh. Step on one. It don't just hurt the foot. It hurt the whole body. You know, it's something you, you like, feel wow. it all the way through. All, all the way through for a few minutes, too. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a love-hate relationship with with Legos for sure. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, our guests today are going to help us explore uh, that whole idea of a little goes a long way, that a very little key will open a very heavy door. Uh, we had a chance to sit down with Alex Lyons, uh, and he... Uh, spent a lot of time in foster care growing up, actually aged out of the system. And uh, he had somebody play a role in his life. And it wasn't for a terribly long time, but it had a huge impact. So uh, let's go to that interview with Alex Lyons. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee with Alex Lyons. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hey, what's going on, Jason? How you doing, man? Thanks so much for being with us. So, Alex, uh, tell us about your first foster home. For sure. Um, 
Well, my first foster home was uh, a lady named Helen. She was a Presbyterian choir director, woman in her late 50s, early 60s, who um, never was married and uh, just had a lot of uh, love to give. Um, She had a lot of uh, special needs kids coming into her home. And then uh, my uh, foster sister, Angie, and then myself, um, we were there uh, together for probably about 18 months, and uh, she was a very warm, loving woman. She, uh, you know, read stories to me, talked to me about heaven, talked to me about uh, fears I had. I remember playing video games with her and, uh, you know, but uh, most importantly, I feel that um, Helen was just a woman in my life that impacted me a lot. I mean, when I came into her house, I was eight, and uh, and uh, after you know living with my mom before then, but for the first time, I felt what it was like to be loved maternally by her. Um, when I think of maternal love here, even twenty plus years later, I think of her, and this is a woman that I lived with probably not even for a couple years, uh, but she uh, really made a big impact on me. What were the things that Helen did that showed you this maternal love that you talk about? Absolutely. I feel that she paid attention to me. Uh, She paid attention to my likes. Uh, She, I was a, I was a good student, but I wasn't necessarily a motivated student. And uh, she motivated me to get good grades by saying, you know, hey, if you get good grades, you know, I know you like Ninja Turtles, maybe we'll get you some Ninja Turtle toys. And and I tell you, I got straight A's on, on my uh, report cards from that, you know. Uh, uh, you know, she would make uh, pancakes uh, every Saturday morning. She was a, a elementary school teacher, so Saturday mornings were, at, you know, other than being a Presbyterian choir director on Sundays and then, you know, school teacher throughout the week, Saturday mornings were very sacred. And she would make pancakes and she'd make them in shapes of like Mickey Mouse or like spell my name or things, you know, uh, a pancake recipe that I'm still trying to perfect, you know, like trying to figure out how she made that (laughs) so I could spell my daughter's name or something like that. It was um, teaching me, um, you know, things about the arts. She had a kiln in her basement and so she would uh, let me paint some ceramics um, just to, you know, just kind of things that I never really experienced. I just, there was such instability in my life of where I was placed with my mom and that I wasn't necessarily thinking about having fun or I was just thinking about surviving. I could think about just being a kid and having fun. Uh, I hated vegetables and I stuffed um, vegetables down. There was this hollow seat in, uh, it was like this silver uh, cylinder tube and I would shove the vegetables down there because I didn't want to eat them to hide them. And one day I came home and it was like it was gross. She didn't make me eat them or anything, but she just kind of said like, like she called me on stuff. She was you know disciplining me like, hey, you need to not do this. And hey, and um, that was quite a juxtaposition between my mom, who because of her mental health issues felt like she was just not even aware of what even to do. Just I was able to do whatever and however because she didn't know how to respond because I don't think she had the capacity to respond. So being able to be given uh, love through 
affection hugging. And, you know, I remember sitting on her bed and her reading stories uh, to me about the Bible. I remember distinctively asking her, what is heaven like? You know, do they talk in heaven? Do we have like the same language? So showing me love through physical touch, through through holding and just spending time with me, through, you know, giving gifts and through providing love for me and, and, and just showing me, you know, the even as God's word said, you know, that the, the, a good father, you know, lavishes gifts upon us, you know, and through discipline and actually directing me to where, you know, I should do and what I shouldn't do, I think are definitely things that uh, showed me that she cared about me in a maternal way. What was the cause of you leaving Helen's home? Yeah. So while I lived with Helen, I would... Uh, be on visits with my mom. Me and my mom were able to get together and still kind of visit each other because my mom still had parental rights. And um, when I would go to visit her, she'd be very jealous of Helen. And she'd be very jealous, not about necessarily even the things, but in the way that I saw Helen versus the way that I saw her. And so she, in her jealousy and desperation as a parent, would say things like, hey, you know, like, Maybe if you misbehave, I know you want to live back with me. So maybe if you, you know, can act a fit or maybe if you misbehave, like the state will see that you obviously don't want to live with Helen. So, um, so I would, uh, you know, I would do some of the things I talked about earlier. I would, you know, I would, uh, start to do crazy things like shove vegetables in a chair or, um, you know, do, you know, be misbehave and hit kids. You know, I stabbed a kid with a pencil at school, like just crazy things that like are abnormal, seeing how far I could push this woman so that the hope would be that I could live back at home with my mom. But I was just doing that because I was trying to listen to what my mom was telling me to do. It was very conflicting because at one end, I loved Helen and I really wanted to be with her. But the other end, my mom is still my mom and I wanted to listen to her and, and be with her too. So, I mean, but ultimately that's what I did. I, I listened to her and hopes that I would be moved back with her and the hopes that things would be different this time. And and not only were things not different, they didn't end like my mom said they would be. They ended quite differently. And so you were in foster care for how long? I was in foster care from 8 to when I aged out of an independent living program at 21. One of the things I've heard you talk about, Alex, is people who are hesitant to do foster care because they're afraid to love and then to watch that child go somewhere else. And I've heard you approach that with with. Um, great conviction, but also great understanding. Share a little bit about your perspective on that fear that so many people have when it comes to foster care. For sure. I think it's a very natural fear that uh, foster parents have that I think it comes from a good place. It comes from a place of, I want to love this child and I don't want to lose this child. And I think that I don't want to have this child plucked from my home and I want to give stability to this child. I think that's a good, I think it's a good thing that parents have a desire to, you know, become too attached in a way um, that they, they, they want to love a child that to the place where they're so attached to a child. But I think it's um, a perspective that is maybe a little bit uh, focused the wrong direction because 
the reality is twofold, I would say. First of all, I don't think any of us are promised any time with anybody. Our moms, our dads, our bio children, our foster children, that we're not promised any time with anybody and that each day is a gift. I would say also, secondly, that all love is a risk. There's no such thing as being too attached, I don't think, because love is a risk, that we may not get loved back or receive love back, but that's not the point because God commands us to love and that should be our posture is to love without selfishly thinking about what we're going to get from it. And so that's what I would challenge any foster parent or prospective foster parent that I meet to say, look, you may have a kid in your house for a short amount of time and then they may be gone and that may break your heart, but at least your heart is broken because you chose to love that child. And that impact of the time that you spent with that child will be able to carry on for who knows how long, heaven knows how long, but maybe you don't and maybe that's not the point, but know that you will be making an impact on that kid. So Alex, you left Helen when you were still in elementary school. Have you talked to her or seen her since then? Yeah. Um, at one of my group homes, I was able to visit her because I you know, expressed that I had a desire to, and she was open to that. Um, I have a couple of pictures of myself with her when I was a teenager. Uh, nothing of when I lived with her, actually when I was in placement with her. And I've always had a desire to reach back out to her. I tried to find her when I got married. I tried to find her when um, my daughter was born just because I, if the roles were reversed, I would hope that somebody would try to find me. And so, um, yeah, I've tried to actively look. I have some friends that live in the city that she lives in. Um, I've come in contact, oddly enough, here at this conference through uh, the CAFO app with somebody who lives in the city that she lives in. And we've been in contact. And I have a phone number for it. I don't know if it is the right phone number or I'm a little in uh timid about what I should say or how and when to call, but I do have that desire to call her because I want to let her know the impact that she had in my life. The exact words of what I would say in that call, I don't know. Who knows if I'll get even through it beyond tears. So, <laughs> One of the things that you would most want to express to her if you had the chance to talk to her? If I was given a chance to talk to Helen, I would tell her thank you for putting up with me, one. Uh, two, I'm sorry I broke your heart and I listened to a lie that my mom told me. Um, really kind of would base out of that. Um, three, I would tell her, kind of catch her up of all the things that I remember about her, all the memories that we would share. As similar to, I think, anybody catching up with an old friend that you would uh, say, you know, kind of the core things you want to say. Thank you for what you've been to me. I'm sorry for a jerk that I've been in the times I was a jerk. And then reminiscing on what you had good. And then based upon that, if it was a reciprocal situation, I'd love for her to be in my life again. Wow, so I, I loved that interview with Alex, I love the things that he had to say and am just so impacted by uh, 
the amount of influence that this woman had on his life mm-hmm. over the course of those 18 months. I mean, here is uh, a young man who aged out of foster care. He spent a long time in foster care, and yet he models his own parenting. Uh, his definition of, of maternal love is based on this 18 months with this woman and in her home. Uh, what stood out to you about what Alex shared? I mean, Mr. Jason, he said something uh, so powerful that resonated with, with me and I, and I, and I bet a hundred other kids out there, you know, he said that um, you may have a kid in your house for a short period of time um, and it may break your heart, but at least your heart is broken because you love that child. And I thought that was just so powerful. And that's a lot of things that I even tell um, some parents, you know, even if they're going to be there for a short period of time. I was only in my dad's house for a short period of time, but it impacted my life and not just my life. It impacted that person's life, too. And so uh, just the love, man, that that woman had for for Alex, you know, it impacted his, his life uh, at the moment. And not just now, even when he married and got have a wife, you know, have his wife, his children, uh, you know, he talked about, you know, that he will, you know, love to make a phone call to her and, you know, and share some things with her that he probably couldn't even get to, through the whole conversation that his life has been impacted for the rest of his life because of an 18 month stay with Mrs. Heller. And I just thought that was so powerful. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. And when you think about, um, you know, our hearts get broken all the time for different reasons, right, right? right? And the quote that you shared, what's so amazing about that is it's true. Like our hearts get broken for all sorts of reasons anyway, but at least uh, your heart getting broken in this case um, is is for a good reason. Good reason. It, yes. it, it has a, yes. a, a tremendous impact on another person. And, you know, I think one of the questions we continually have to ask ourselves for those that are considering foster care or those that are in foster parenting is, am I willing to get my heart broken mm, wow. to change the life of a child. That's right. Wow. That's powerful. Mm. And uh, Miss Helen was. Right. Miss Helen was. And, and as a result, um, her pain resulted in a lifetime of, of just tremendous blessing for Alex, but not only Alex, but for the woman that he married and the children right. that he has and the grandchildren that he'll have someday. She uh, helped to create a powerful legacy right. um, by being willing to have a heart broken for a short time. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we want to uh, transition to uh, hearing from a national leader who has a great deal of experience in helping people engage in small ways to make a huge impact. And uh, before we do that, though, I, I want to mention uh, our upcoming annual Adoption and Orphan Care and Foster Care Summit, CAFO 2018, coming to Dallas, Texas, and it will be here uh, May 9th through the 11th. And you can go, actually, right now, you can go to our website, go to CAFO.org slash summit, and you can learn more about uh, this year's summit, and you can uh, register, you can do early registration, which is less than it will be uh, later on, but man... This summit every year is it's just a highlight of 
the year for not only uh, me, but I know so many others uh, who come. Uh, it's a chance to be together with like-minded people who are passionate about caring for kids and who are doing it well. And uh, always come out of those times having learned so much. Uh, from so many others who do this day in and day out. There is nothing like it. So uh, we'd love for you to check that out, uh, cafo.org slash summit. So uh, as uh, I mentioned, um, we want to talk about little things going a long way. And what does that practically look like? As you might be leading a ministry in your church, um, you may be trying to lead a movement where you live in your community, uh, how do you help others to take small amounts of time and energy and make a big impact? Well, Chelsea Geyer is the executive director of DC 127 uh, in Washington, DC, and she does a great job of this. And so we got a chance to visit with her and talk to her about how to help people who have limitations on their time and space, how to help them make a limitless impact in the lives of kids and families. Let's hear from Chelsea. Hello, Chelsea. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. You are a foster care advocate in a unique context. You run an organization called DC 127 uh, in Washington, DC, of course. And the people that you are working with, the people that you are uh, helping to get involved in foster care are a little unique compared to a lot of contexts. Could you talk a little bit about uh, the folks that you are generally trying to inspire uh, and engage in foster care? Yeah. Um, so in Washington, D.C., capital city, um, it's a beautiful place with a lot of beautiful people, but there are just some markers of our demographics and just kind of the rhythms of the city as a whole that make some of the things that we need, that we typically think we need for foster care a little bit more difficult. Um, so D.C. has kind of two populations. Uh, it's got its more native population, uh, which is a very stable population. And then it's got a little bit of a more transient population where we have a lot of people who move to DC for their career or for a job or for grad school and they stay here temporarily and then they leave. Um, it's, and with many of the churches we work with, that's predominantly their population, which makes it difficult to, to sometimes get people who are ready for the long-term commitment that foster care or adoption needs to be. Uh, we also, we're also in a city, which means that housing is very expensive and our homes are just smaller, which makes it hard to find the extra bedrooms. And so we see a lot of people who are interested in fostering needing to plan it out several years uh, because they have to move or they need to make sure that they can, um, that they financially can get into a house that's big enough for fostering. So just some unique challenges. So Chelsea, can you give us an example of someone who was able to give uh, some time, but maybe not as much time as as you know, fostering or adopting, um, that made a huge difference for a, a child or family in foster care? I I'll actually brag on a on a friend of mine as well. Um, she so. She's in her young thirties and, uh, couldn't foster right now, lives in a house with a bunch of roommates. Um, but those roommates decided to become a host home, um, for a young mom uh, who at the time was 
um, I believe she was under 18, had two little ones, just needed support. She didn't have the support of her family. So they initially hosted for a while. Uh, but the part that I want to hone in on is what happened after the hostings. So with hostings, we take, we have kids just come into homes temporarily to give parents a little bit of a breathing space. But after DC-127 is formally involved, the volunteers can continue on. Courtney decided to continue the relationship and stay committed to this family. Uh, it's not necessarily that she sees the kids and the mom every week or even every other week, uh, but she has just become become a person that this mom can call when, when the mom needs something. So uh, an easy example is daycare pickups are really, really strict, at least in DC. You got to pick up the kids by six, but sometimes things come up and uh, sometimes buses are late or the mom gets held back at school, but she's able to text Courtney and say, Hey, I just need help. And so a mom who went from not having anyone to call, not, not having a lot of family support, not being able um, to feel just kind of that, that, that safety net is now in a place where she has somebody who is committed to caring for her family, who cares about her girls, cares about her and isn't necessary, hasn't, you know, hasn't become everything, but is, is filling in some of the gaps and really just demonstrating that love and demonstrating that, that consistency that, that parents and kids need. When you think about Courtney and you think about this mom and the impact that she's made in her life, uh, and you think about all of the other people that you work with who are investing small amounts of time, what would you say are the most important things about the time that they're investing that make the difference between being just sort of uh, a token contact or a, a token investment um, and and life change? What do you think the differences yeah. are there? Um, it's it's going to be two things. I um, So I'll say the first one. At DC-127, we say a lot, if you want to change the rhythms of our city, you're going to have to change the rhythms of your life. And so the way that we care for children in foster care, for families and children at risk of being separated by foster care, um, it can't just be something that... Uh, that, that we do when, when we feel like it, to be honest, it can't, we can't just be gophers that pop up when we want. Right. Uh, we've got to really look at this as, as a long-term thing and something that we build into the way that we live our lives and build into the way that we, that we structure, structure our world, our worlds and our schedules. Um, I think Courtney is a great example of this, of it's not that, um, it's not that there are these grand gestures every other month or something like that, but it's just something small and consistent. It's those small and consistent things that really just demonstrate, um, a commitment to this family. And, and I think, a a, a more personal kind of love than what sort of big grand service gestures can offer. Um, so that's the first one is being, making that, making that part of your rhythms, making it consistent, um, especially for a population that has so little consistency, children in foster care and vulnerable families, um, to be something consistent in that inconsistent world. And then the second thing I would say is, um, is just building a true relationship. And so this family and Courtney, they're not formally involved with DC 127 anymore. Uh, this is a real, this is a real relationship. The family went with her to, for Thanksgiving, right? This is just, people who are friends and supporting one another. Um, and I think that that, that that's key is moving away from a transactional sort of sense of I am serving you or these are my service hours and I'm choosing to spend them with you, but rather that 
this person is just another part of your life and another part of your community and your network. Um, and they're not, they're not a project. You're not trying to fix them. Um, you have a real relationship with them and you're showing them real and genuine love and you're letting them into your life as well. What you're saying is it doesn't have to be big, but it does have to be consistent. And at the end of the day, it has to transcend program. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Um, I think consistency actually speaks louder than those big gestures. Uh, And I would actually pose that when we show that we're consistent, when we show that this person is part of our normal life, when we respond to their needs, when we're there for them, um, as we would a friend or in a relationship, that it's actually more about the person. But when we make these big gestures, it's a little bit more about us getting a pat on the back for having service. So I think a lot, I think of some big gestures and, or just seasonal things or, um, just times where, where we, now I have time to do it. So I'm going to do it now. That's really shaping the service and the work around us and our schedules. It's really now I have free time. And so now I will do it. And that's not, that's not the sacrificial love that I think we're called to give, uh, those that God has called us to love. I think that when we reshape the need around being there for what the family needs and for what the children need, which is consistency. I mean, this isn't even just about children in foster care. This is every child needs consistency, right? Um, it's focused on them and what, and what they need and what is best for them rather than what is most satisfying for us. What I love about that, uh, what you said basically is that we are only responsible to be faithful and often we do want to focus on the results. And I imagine in a city like D.C., there's a lot of people who, oh, of um, <laughs> who are there because they want to change the world, right? And, and results is the, is the dialect of our culture, right? Um, and yet what God calls us to is faithfulness, and he's asking us to leave the results to him. And I love what you guys are doing uh, there, how you are mobilizing a group of people who previously uh, maybe could not see a way that they could engage in this area, and you're finding a way. You're providing an on-ramp. And I think there are a lot of people listening who live in a much different context than Washington, D.C., but but see some of the same kinds of limitations with the population that they serve and there are a lot of people in the places where all of us live who don't feel like they can invest in foster care because they don't feel like they can do all of the things necessary uh, to do that. And it's our job to come alongside them and translate and say, you know what, there is a place for you. It is, it is not huge, but it is consistent and it will make a difference in somebody's life. And that'll make it huge. That'll make it big. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. I appreciate you spending the time and thank you so much for what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. Obviously, Chelsea and her team are doing a great job in D.C. of helping people take a limited amount of time and a limited amount of space to make a huge impact on kids and families. Yeah, they are. Mr. Jason, they're changing the rhythm of that city in Washington, D.C. What a great example of what Dickens said. Cue the violins again. Uh, (laughs) A very little key will open a very 
heavy door. Yes. A very little key will open a very heavy door. Well, those of you that are listening, um, you are doing that as well. You are opening heavy doors and you're doing great work. And we're so grateful that you take the time to to listen in with us. And uh, we want to thank you and we want to thank our guests, Alex Lyons and Chelsea Geyer, uh, for being with us today. We'd love to hear from you. Do us a huge favor, leave us a review on iTunes, uh, and then come find us on Facebook at the Foster Movement Podcast page. If you are interested in the show notes, just go to the Foster Movement Podcast.org. That's Foster Movement Podcast.org. Well, thanks for all of you uh, who are speaking up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that until there's more than enough. Have a blessed day. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.